0: Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, spread. Down with the Colonial Virus, down with the Colonial Virus, down.
1: Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Judas and the Black Messiah is a film that depicts the Federal Bureau of Investigation's plot to assassinate Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, including the role of FBI informant Bill O'Neill. In his February 17th live stream address to the African nation, Chairman O'Malley offered political clarity to the public discussion around the film. Chairman O'Malley outlined the global nature of the U.S. counterinsurgency, the ramifications of this assault on the African community, the ahur Movement's response to this assault, and the way forward. We are excited to have Chairman O'Malley back on the show to discuss this with us. Chairman O'Malley is the leader and founder of the Ahur Movement. In 1972, Chairman O'Malley Eshotela co-founded the African People's Socialist Party, with the expressed interest in reviving and completing the African Revolution of the 1960s. Over the past five decades, Chairman O'Malley has initiated campaigns to defend the democratic rights of the African community, to organize and elevate African women to their rightful place as makers and shakers of human history, to mobilize opposition to U.S. wars and to popularize the demand for reparations to African people. He's built the worldwide Uhura movement and the African Socialist International, with branches in the U.S., Europe, the Caribbean, and on the continent of Africa. Welcome to the show, Chairman. Before we get into talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, I want to ask you a question about the film One Night in Miami that was released in January 2021. After its release, I remember you mentioned something about the language of the film. You said that Malcolm X would not have talked like that. Can you explain this?
0: I'm not quite sure what I meant in that discussion, but I felt that uh, the, from what I saw, I did not, I couldn't watch the entire thing. Uh, I found it problematic, that problematic for me anyway. Uh, but uh, what I saw is that the depiction of Malcolm and I thought Sam Cooke, uh, uh, I thought it was off. I. I Malcolm X uh, was uh, uh, was portrayed here as a, sometimes even somewhat, uh, you know, temperamental and, and kind of emotional. And I, I don't think it was a good representation of who Malcolm X was. Malcolm X uh, went there as a mentor. He had been mentoring Cassius Clay, who was uh, to become uh, Muhammad Ali for a while and was uh, responsible for bringing... Uh, uh, cash, Cassius Clay into the nation of Islam uh, and uh, played a major role in winning uh, uh, Clay's, uh, Ali's confidence in his ability to defeat Sonny Liston, who had been seen as this incredible, invincible force by in the boxing world. And at one point, even uh, Muhammad Ali had... Uh, had spoken uh, reluctantly about fighting uh, Liston. And uh, so I think that uh, Malcolm played a real important role uh, in helping Ali to have the confidence to to win that fight, to let him know he could win that fight. And uh, I don't know if the confident Malcolm X that the world has come to know anyway was reflected in the best possible way in that movie. I think Sam Cooke too, uh, what I do know about uh, Cooke is that at, at different points, he clearly indicate that he was a follower of Malcolm X, that he, he believed in in Malcolm uh, X's uh, philosophy and that uh, uh, it, it influenced him in, in various ways. I don't think from what I saw of the film, I was not certain that that was reflected. But the other thing I want to say about that film and, and the film Judas and the Black Messiah, and an assortment of other films that we've seen lately, is a need by uh, the rulers of this country, the colonizers of this country, to uh, get in front of this moment that uh, threatens to leave it behind. A moment where uh, colonized peoples all around the world and certainly uh, the colonized African population in the U.S. uh, rising up again, a moment where uh, masses of people have broken free uh, to some extent of the control, ideological, political control to some extent of the traditional leaders who have been imposed on our colonized communities by our colonizers. And so... uh, right now, at such a time, I think that there is a real concern about whether people today, Africans today, the colonizers the of today, will be uh, looking for uh, a, a revolutionary trajectory, looking to uh, deal with these profound contradictions that the colonized peoples of the world and inside the United States are confronted with. And I think that... Uh, part of what we're seeing about the uh, by the release of a lot of the various uh, films uh, dealing with uh, our struggle, um, mostly of, uh, centered around the 60s, which was uh, uh, the most recent time in history uh, where we saw this magnificent revolution happening globally uh, to the extent that uh, the Chinese Communist Party declared uh that the uh, sixties uh during this era of the sixties that revolution was the main trend, and I think there's a recognition by uh, the rulers in this in this country that uh, people are going to be looking for different kinds of conclusions <laughs> different methods to solve our problems because the outdated uh, methods of uh of of those who uh have uh, represented us uh up uh, since the since the defeat of our revolution, they haven't worked, and people are disgusted with that and disgusted with the system, and think that's why we're seeing an array of film uh, right now that uh, would intervene, uh, interfere, or uh, in the ability of masses to come to revolutionary conclusions. And the revolutionary conclusions, you know, the sort being uh, provided by the African People Socialist Party, which is the only organization in fact that I'm aware of that has summed up that entire period uh, as uh, beyond it simply being one of a series of incidents you know one of the things that the Miami film uh, we are reminded by people who talk about the Miami film the shortly after that of course Malcolm would be dead they would kill Malcolm uh and 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 Cook uh, uh, would also uh, be killed later and so that was part of the significance of of uh, that was pointed out by people who have uh, reviewed the f- that film. But I just want to say that, uh, that we remind people that uh, Malcolm didn't die a natural death and he died within the same time frame as uh, uh, Fred Hampton uh, would die. Uh, and uh, so did Martin Luther King, same time frame. Uh, so did uh, various other revolutionary figures inside the United States and around the world. Uh, so uh, I just think it's really important to <clears throat> to understand that. Let me leave it there. Ooh.
1: Yeah, Chairman. Because yeah, you know, one of the things that I did take from that, and maybe it's not exactly what you intended, but you know, there's a very subjective way through which uh, they express Malcolm, and you see a lot of liberal media say, "Well, they really showed an emotional side of Malcolm," yeah. and all this other stuff that's like. Uh, I mean, it's it's it's, it's literally uh, uh, immaterial uh, to the larger discussion. So you're telling me he had the whole evening with these guys, and he didn't talk anything about uh, international revolution, the stuff going on in Africa, uh, the stuff going on in the Congo at that time, through which he was actively making speeches about. Oh, wow. I mean, like like so, so he doesn't say any of this. All he does is maybe berate Sam Cook and tell him he needs to make better songs or something like that and and that's not even historically accurate because uh as you know you know he had already had an ast- a, a friendship with with Malcolm it was already clear he was a follower and it was already clear that uh he had um he would you know his, his his songs he were making uh, had some sort of working class uh character to them already right so 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 yeah so I, but uh, so I really appreciate uh, your, your analysis and even Sam, Sam eventually is taken out. Many people feel it has to do with, um, really, uh, a take like, like Sam's, uh, fight for ownership of his own product against, you know, the, the, the parasitic, uh, managers and things like that, uh, of the, of the music industry. But so let's get into this. So you watched Judas and the Black Messiah. What was your initial reaction?
0: Well, uh, first of all, uh, it was well done in terms of the craft that was involved. Uh, extraordinary actors, I felt. I've, I felt that people could get some sense of uh, what our community looked like at the time, uh, some sense of it. And I think that uh, it touched upon uh, some of the the, the courage of uh, Fred Hampton um and, and the Panthers, uh, to some extent. And I, I think also a problem, what was kind of problematic that's been noted by people who uh, have been detractors uh, and sometimes not just detractors of the film is the, uh, the sympathetic way that William O'Neill uh, was treated. Uh, the person who actually put the drugs in Sam and um, Fred uh, Hampton's uh, drink to make him helpless when when the police raided and, 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 and murdered him uh, in his bed, uh, the person who uh, uh, was taken in uh, and tricked and, and, and slept with and ate the same food uh, and won the trust of these uh, incredible, courageous people uh, was treated with an, with I thought uh, 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 too sympathetically. That was one thing that I felt about, about the movie. And then uh, I felt that uh, the way they uh, portrayed what Fred was involved in was not just an oversimplification, but I think it was misleading. And because uh, Fred was part of a revolutionary movement that was sweeping the earth, and he was conscious of that. And his consciousness of that is reflected in some of the snippets and speeches they uh, had Fred making during uh, the film that I felt was a real substitute for uh, uh, recognizing uh, the, the reality. So they would take snippets and speeches and slogans that Fred uh, actually used, and people are familiar with that, And I think that became a kind of substitute for uh, looking at the fact that oppressed peoples all around the world were engaged in the struggle that Fred was engaged in. It was not about, as uh, was suggested uh, from the statement of the person playing the character of uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the uh, secret political police called the the FBI, uh, who suggested that that africans just wanted to uh, be with uh, the the daughters of uh, white people and that that was a reason that uh, fred had to be stopped i mean actually said that to uh, the fbi agent that was that was william O'Neill's handler uh, how would you feel what are you going to do when your daughter brings a, a a negro to uh to your house or something to that effect and it was not about that it was not I mean, uh, you know, we have uh, white people who hate Africans, white policemen and white FBI agents who hate Africans. But it is not the hatred of these FBI agents and police that are responsible for what is happening to the Panthers or what was happening to the Panthers or to the revolution overall. It is the fact that Africans are colonized. And this is um, the police and FBI uh, institutions to maintain uh, the colonization of Africans and other people in the United States and globally. Oh,
1: yeah, Chairman, you're correct. Because one of the things that I think, like you said, it's it's not evident at all in the film that Chicago for the Panthers is just one theater in an international revolution. And the filmmakers know this. You know, they they, they would have known this if they're doing... Research. I mean, I saw it was a it was a, a map. It was put out by by China, uh, following the uh, rebellions in 1968, uh, following the assassination of Dr. King, and what happened. And I remember it's got like all these different map, all these different dots on the U.S. map, and it's all in Chinese, right? Um, so, so it's very clear that not just the people here, but everyone around the world understood that this was a theater of international revolutionary struggle.
0: Well, you know, I mean, Fred was killed on December 4th, 1969. Four days later, the FBI and and police attacked uh, the headquarters of the Black Panther Party in Los Angeles, California, on December 8th and engaged in a four-hour gun battle. And this is where we saw the emergence of these uh, special weapons uh, uh, teams called SWAT and throughout this country where... Uh, the a, the domestic uh, military character of the u.s uh, police force took on a decidedly obvious a more obvious uh, 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 shape as 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 military as a colonial military occupying force in our community so we saw the sWAT occurred at this time and the film failed to show the connection between uh, the The murders of uh, King and Malcolm and Fred and the uh, thirty other members of the Black Panther Party that were killed—I think—in 1968 Uh, alone—they showed uh, did not show the relationship of uh, this attack on uh, Fred Hampton and the uh, the emergence of the drug drug importation into our communities everywhere that uh, the, the, the growth uh, in the uh, uh, law and order crime bill uh, uh, kind of uh, politic, even designer laws that were created just uh, because of the African revolution. So uh, to say that this stuff happened in Chicago is something that is undeniable. And anybody who finds uh, himself now trying to... Understand what happened in the 1960s are sure to run into the example of Fred Hampton. His courage uh, was legendary, and uh, despite the success they've had uh, in the short term of uh, of erasing him uh, or, or diminishing him from uh, from consciousness, the the growth of the resistance in this country, the death of the Christ contradictions. Uh, 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 will determine that Fred is like Malcolm X will be one of the people most looked at, and uh, will uh, find uh, his way into the popular culture the same way you see people today wearing uh, T-shirts sold by capitalists with uh, Che Guevara's figure on it. Uh, the moment uh, because Fred is, was one of the like 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 uh, Fred like Malcolm uh, like King uh, like uh, Che were among the incorruptible forces of that moment because they were chasing the future, which is the future of liberation of human beings, uh, from colonial domination by the United States and other peoples around the world. So that happened outside the United States, it happened inside the United States. And Fred was a symbol of that. And but it must be remembered he was a symbol of it because people uh peoples around the world were engaging uh imperialism, United States and And people inside this country were engaged in the United States. As I mentioned, Malcolm and King were killed. uh, And then uh, we saw uh, uh, other forces uh, throughout the U.S. uh, executed uh, by these gangsters uh, who represent U.S. law and order. So I think that uh, that that's that's part of what does not get recognized. It was not just them. uh, At the same time, the U.S. was killing people in Vietnam for the same reason— uh, at the same time, the U.S. was th- threatening Cuba, who had, that had only become free in 1959, for the same reason. That same time frame, we saw the United States uh, overthrowing uh, uh, governments uh, uh, throughout the South America. So, the United States uh, was on uh, a real uh, uh, c- counter, a revolutionary uh, process globally to push back the uh, the the struggles of oppressed peoples uh, for for freedom and for the uh, taking back uh, our resources. And Fred uh, was one of them. And there's no way that you come to that conclusion. In fact, a problem with the film is that when it's over, uh, the thing that you can be left with is a good feeling about Fred Hampton. He was courageous and he tried to link uh, the gangs and the uh, other people uh, to the revolution that uh, uh, the conclusion of which we still don't understand through watching the movie what it was supposed to to be about. So you can get that good feeling about Fred and how he stood up and what have you. You get a view of how bad things were. Uh, but if you don't put Fred in the context of a struggle against colonialism and for our liberation, uh, you're left with the thing that it was, Fred was good, things were bad. Uh, and since there is in the from the film's point of view, uh, nothing that takes us beyond uh, that, uh, then of course, uh, it sort of tells us that the bad days are kind of behind us, uh, more or less. And Fred, it, 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 it undermines what Fred was fighting for in terms of a whole world uh, where the proletariat, where the workers and the colonized people will not have to live uh, under foreign and, 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 and bourgeois uh, domination uh, anymore. And so, But that is how it is now. There is uh, the fact that people live under foreign uh, domination. The fact is that if people really understood what Fred was about and the kind of movement he was about, he would, they would be sympathetic uh, to the fact that the Iranians are trying not to be, go back under the boot of U.S. and the Venezuelans and other peoples around the world, they would be sympathetic with that. Uh, But watching the thing with Fred makes you sympathetic with Fred, makes you sympathetic with the people who were treated badly and can make you sympathetic uh, to uh, uh, William O'Neill, but not necessarily to revolution, uh, to overturning our oppression and exploitation. And that's what the African People's Socialist Party is about. And the fact is that we, we, we founded ourselves in 1972 with the conscious missions of completing the black revolution of the 60s the revolution that Fred was a part of, the revolution that I was a part of. Uh, uh, and and the fact is that uh, uh, in 1991, when we held the former founding of uh, the International People's, the National People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, we went to Chicago uh, precisely because that's where they had killed Fred, precisely because we wanted to help to resurrect the memory of Fred as a revolutionary, uh, and precisely because of uh, uh, uh we wanted to remind people that, as Fred said, you can kill a revolutionary, but you can't kill the revolution and and the film didn't show that the revo- you couldn't kill the revolution it 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 showed them killing Fred it showed us uh, pictures uh i think uh uh after the after the the movie proper we were able to see pictures of fred's uh uh son and 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 Fred's widow, both of whom have uh assume, you know, respectable, uh, powerful uh, places uh, in in the struggle, but it doesn't say that uh, what it is that this struggle is fighting for. And the film, that is, doesn't do that, what Fred was ultimately fighting for, because he was fighting for more than the clinic in Chicago.
1: Oh, uh-huh, chairman. Oh, uh-huh, thank you for that. In the first print edition of the Burning Spirit newspaper, which you produced in December 1969. You included an article about the murder of Fred Hampton. What did his assassination mean to you all in the movement at that time? Well,
0: I I think that's a really important question because uh, the fact is that the revolution was under assault. We recognize that. In uh, in fact, um, the guy who was the attorney general of the United States uh, at the time had declared That by the end of uh, uh, 1969, Fred, uh, the Black Panther Party, would be destroyed. And of course, uh, from their perspective, the December 4th, 1969 assassination of Fred uh, was uh, to be the final uh, nail in the coffin of the Black Revolution, uh, which uh, of course did not turn out to be the case. Uh, The revolution was crushed, but the African People's Socialist Party was born out of the ashes of that revolutionary process. And when Fred was killed, people all around, you know, all Africans everywhere uh, uh, in this country and around the world were really seriously engaged in struggle and feeling the consequence of counterinsurgency that was being led by the United States government. And, you know, people are familiar, some of them, about this counterintelligence kind of kind of program, COINTELPRO, uh, that was uh, brought uh, uh, through the FBI. Uh, but most people uh, are not uh, aware that this counterinsurgency included a lot of different forces, including uh, the CIA, and that there were military intelligence uh, organizations working uh, within uh, the United States as well. And uh, uh, so it was um, as a massive war that was initiated, we said a, a war without terms. The United States government uh, uh, this guy William Sullivan, who, who was the one who headed up, was this person in the FBI who created the COINTELPRO, pro, uh, the counterintelligence program, who was elevated from 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 that job uh, and sent to Southeast Asia, where he uh, uh, was worked with the various CIA agents, and and uh, that uh, ultimately they uh, got involved in uh, and, and 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 getting cocaine. Uh, uh bringing cocaine first they went heron from from southeast Asia uh where the u s was fighting this war against the Vietnamese and the revolutionary movement there and so uh you saw the importation of of heron uh into uh the African community off of that experience and this was headed up uh uh, uh this 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 importation coincided uh with the removal. Of uh, the move um, of the U.S. government of this guy William Sullivan uh, to uh, this war against drugs uh, that he uh, uh, would uh, use to uh, create uh, the the uh, or participate with an agency that was known as the Office of Drug Abuse and Law Enforcement, ODEA, and this was uh, this is the organization that turned into into the DEA, uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency. And this is uh, uh, the, guy, the the entity that participated in uh, bringing uh, c- uh, cocaine uh, uh, from uh, uh, South America and uh, and more specifically the Central America uh, uh, into uh, the United States. And I say most uh, essential uh, because it is uh, in Central America where we had this uh, guy john c hull who uh, John Hull, who was a CIA agent with dual citizenship uh in the United States and in Honduras, where the United States government fighting a war against the courageous people of Nicaragua to keep them tied uh under the boot of u s imperialism uh, now was bringing uh uh guns uh, uh to uh this entities that they call the contras uh into onto Hull's ranch. And 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 the guns would be dropped off. And then the same helicopters and and airplanes that brought the guns would be loaded up with cocaine. And this cocaine ended up, of course, uh, in the United States. uh, Shortly, it became a derivative of cocaine that somebody created in a laboratory that we came to know as crack that was dispersed all over our community. All of this is a part of that overall struggle. And, uh, it, and, and, you know, we know that a, a move is limited what a one movie can do. Uh, uh, and of course, it, what it could do and would do was narrowed by the fact that, uh, it, uh, concentrated primarily on the, the, the potential black messiah that the FBI had identified through Sullivan's plan, uh, the counterintelligence program. Uh, the Black Messiah. They they held up, right in this instance, uh, referring to Fred Hampton and the Judas, uh, talking about William, uh, uh, talking about O'Neill, uh, who uh, was fundamental uh, in in uh, uh, the assassination, uh, and the murder of Fred Hampton. Uh, so uh, yeah, this is this is a much more complex and in, in, uh, uh, situation, and but limiting the discussion or uh, you know shining the light that's so specifically on the relationship, this relationship uh, obscures uh, the, what Fred was about and how he was a part of a movement of the world's peoples all around the world to win freedom from the boot of U.S. imperialism. That freedom has not been won. It hasn't been won. And uh, if you look at the situation in Chicago today since Fred was murdered, uh, how, uh, what the government succeeded in doing Uh, when they killed Fred in terms of even the kinds of relationships the street organizations commonly referred to as gangs and how Fred had taken that on. And what are the implications of the U.S. government just just around that question. Uh, But the the greater question, of course, is the fact that uh, we have a right to be free and self-determining people, and that's what Fred was fighting for, uh, and that's what motivated uh, millions of people globally and increasingly what we see today uh, is people moving in the direction of, of freedom uh, from uh, U.S. And, and foreign and alien domination that's known as colonialism, whether that that struggle is uh, centered in Chicago, uh, Illinois, or uh, in North uh, St. Louis, uh, Missouri, or, or any other place uh, in the world. Uh-huh. You are
1: listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Chairman O'Malley Yeshitella. Chairman, as you know, there were multiple tactics used in the counterinsurgency. ConTelPro explicitly aimed to discredit Black Power organizations in the eyes of the people. In their official documents, they state, The goal of discrediting Black nationalists must be handled tactically in three ways. You must Discredit those groups and individuals to, first, the responsible Negro community. Second, they must be discredited to the white community, both the responsible community and to liberals who have vestiges of sympathy for militant black nationalists simply because they are Negroes. Third, these groups must be discredited in the eyes of Negro radicals, the followers of the movement in the film. We saw this when the FBI distributed a false flyer in the name of the Panthers against a street organization in the midst of Fred Hampton's attempt to unite the various street organizations of Chicago with the Panthers. What is your take on this effort by the counterinsurgency?
0: Well, it's something that I really hope uh, that our revolutionary movement has, 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 has learned from since that period. Of course, there's so many people killed. It uh, hasn't been an adequate summation done of uh, the, the attack on the revolution itself. I mean, people can give you long stories about the life in a few days before this great leader was killed or that great elite leader was killed, and you might get some story about that person. But the fact is that the summation of uh, the counterinsurgency, the war on the African liberation movement has not been done uh, adequately uh, up uh, to this point. I think the, the best things that you'll find on that would come from the African People's Socialist Party that fought for, for years, decades to overturn the, uh, uh the consequences of the counterinsurgency that m- many in most instances was not otherwise, uh, recognized. So, uh, when, uh, uh, you, when, when I say that, I hope we learn some things from it because, uh, as you know, uh, the FBI sent, uh, uh, cartoons, uh, and, and, and messages, uh, written, and deriding, um, the, this organization, for example, they did that with United Slaves, or us, uh, uh, down in, uh, Southern California, they, they, they sent, uh, things, uh, from them, uh, uh, to the Panther headquarters and sent stuff from the Panthers to them. Uh, there was an, uh, uh I, I retrieved documents, uh, uh, some time ago, showing how the, uh, uh, they were sending letters from uh, Tampa, Florida, um, uh, from Saint Petersburg area, allegedly uh, talking about how the African me uh, had to be dealt with because I refused to uh, support uh, the uh, the campaign to free Huey, and uh, uh, this was sent to uh, Panther uh, headquarters in Oakland, uh, in Oakland, California. So that all this stuff was used to foment uh, strife and struggles and when I say I hope that the movement learned from that certainly we did an African peoples Socialist Party that prohibits uh, stuff like gossip and you know etc and loose talk uh, but you know someone should have called someone should have got on on the phone at different times when they got these messages and and tried to see what was going on as opposed to simply a knee-jerk response uh, and but that spoke in some ways, to the immaturity of our movement at that time, I'm sure uh, that that's why I think I think it's important for us to uh, say that that I hope we learned uh, some lessons from that that period of time of struggle because it was happening all over the country and all over the world, and these intelligence organizations were doing these things as they were putting drugs in our community. Uh, they were also uh, uh, doing what they could to uh, win the people against the revolution, to turn the people against the struggle. During that era, uh, the government worked uh, acting three sort of char- uh, uh, characteristics when it came to uh, infiltrating our organizations. One uh, was the upright, right-up FBI agent on the payroll. I've gone to the academy uh, to learn how to be a good FBI agent. And then there was the person who they would put into organizations who were actually provocateurs. Uh, their responsibility was to provoke uh, problems within the organization, to provoke problems between the organizations and the people, uh, to provoke contradictions that could discredit the organization before uh, uh, with the people and that could uh, uh, lead to uh, military confrontations uh, between uh, the, the movement uh, and the police. And then there was just the informant uh, whose basic job was just to get information. And of course, all three of these categories that I just mentioned uh, could actually be involved in doing the same thing. The FBI agents could, were also uh, provocateurs, they were also Collecting information just as sometimes informants, uh, in addition to just collecting and, and manufacturing information, uh, uh, would function as provocateurs and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and they, you know, they made money that way. Uh, so that there were those things that were happening in our communities. And to the extent that our, we don't do the work in the community uh, to really, uh, win, uh, support from the masses of our people. We're extraordinarily vulnerable, but the people looked out for us, generally speaking, when, when these kinds of, uh, when the police activities are uh, occurring, the people look out for us if, if we are doing the work that we're supposed to do, at least as well as, as, as they can do that. Now the people have always, uh, been the best, uh, friends, the best allies, uh, that the revolution has. In fact, the the revolution serves the interests of the people for it to be viable. And to the extent that we are successful at that, people recognize that and they they protect the revolution. Uhuru. Uhuru. Chairman, I
1: think it was in the late 1970s that you moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. And in the early 80s, that Oakland became the headquarters of the Uhuru movement. Can you explain the conditions of African life in Oakland specifically? and the West Coast more generally, following the military defeat of the African Revolution. And why was this an important move?
0: Well, Oakland was extraordinary for us uh, uh, because we were shocked uh, to see how complete the assault on our revolution had been. Of course, Oakland was the center, was the revolutionary center as the Black Panther Party. Uh, had been the revolutionary center at that moment. and But unlike when the government or the state uh, finds it necessary to do something to repress organizations in white communities where they can crush a factory revolt or something like that, or where they can even single out certain kinds of individuals for assault, uh, during the height of the revolutionary movement, uh, what we saw was that the government initiated a campaign against the whole people. The people were the targets uh, and in and, and so many different ways. And the drugs uh, we just mentioned, or I just uh, spoke of, was one example of of targeting the people as well. So the whole colonized population, which continuously, every, every time we see something of significance happening in terms of uh, progress and struggle is because the African people uh, have moved have uh, uh begun to resist and get organized so uh uh this 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 is what the government had to had to deal with and in oakland um, uh, where the panthers had such a really profound presence, it was clear uh, that major work had been done uh psychological warfare the chemical warfare in the form of drugs uh, what have you uh and you know, we used to say that the resistance was so fresh uh, that we could smell the cordite in the air in Oakland. And people to see so many people uh, walking the streets and sometimes in dazed states uh, was uh, was just extraordinary. So it was clear that something horrible had happened to our people in Oakland in terms of, of the resistance, putting down the revolution and 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 demoralizing in various ways, the population, and and that would include uh, uh, drugs being, you know, like put into the community as well. So that was, you know, when we started doing the work in Oakland, that's what was really striking uh, to us, uh, that, that, you know, we say they must've put something in the water here in Oakland. That's how deep it was uh, from this place of revolution. Then of course, what had happened in Oakland, was a part of the counterinsurgency, uh, the implementation of the neo-colonial solution. So you had a lot of Africans who were on things like city council and school boards, et cetera, that gave the impression of some kind of, uh, of freedom or uh, uh, progress, if you will, on the one hand. On the other hand, Oakland was a place where one could not even talk about black or white. We people spoke in coded language like majority population and the minority population, et cetera. So the class struggle uh, of the colonized people uh, had been crushed. And one of the things that uh, our party did uh, getting into Oakland uh, was to break the class peace, to split up the class peace by going deep among uh, the African working class who were being dispossessed from our homes uh, There's horrible gentrification, as it's called, this population removal that's characterized as gentrification, that is common to, uh, all over this country, uh, stemming uh, back even uh, to uh, uh, immediately, you know, after the the formal end of slavery, how African people were going to be uh, quartered, where we were going to live, circumstances, and then things like like uh, were created. Uh, the zoning laws were created. Uh, things like that, just to be able uh, to control the African population inside this country. In Oakland, we saw this happening and we were engaged in some of the most uh, fierce battles on the ground in Oakland uh, than uh, than any place in the United States. Uhuru Chairman, thanks for that. In Oakland, you created the People's
1: Democratic Uhuru Movement, but it was in Chicago on April 6th, 1991, almost 30 years ago, that you created the National People's Democratic Uhuru
0: Movement. Can you explain the significance of this move? The People's Democratic Uhuru Movement was something that we pulled together in the first place because it was clear uh, that the government has succeeded in demoralizing a lot of people and pushing people out of revolutionary political life. So while the party has always been able to do work on the ground around the the issues uh, uh, of the people around uh, housing around uh, being ripped off by merchants around children, what's happening with the police and the children being uh, uh, crushed uh, in the school system. Uh, we could fight against these incidents. But in terms of we, had, we were no longer at that place where we could go uh, taking a revolutionary uh, project to the people as such. So we said it's going to be really important to mobilize the people where they are. And that's around these contradictions they experience in their lives on a daily basis, and then they help the people to recognize that and, in and, and all of these uh, these uh, contradictions uh, that they are experiencing, and um, there is a, a fundamental, profound, profoundly universal contradiction that comes from our colonialism. And we have to take this We have to take this opportunity to win people uh, to struggle around, to engage in struggle, learn how to fight back. And to push the counterinsurgency back, uh, while at the same time doing what we could around each of these popular, uh, mass questions to, uh, to uh, bring people to a higher level of revolutionary political and ideological development. So that's where we started with the People's Democratical Who movement, uh, in Oakland. And that was uh, in about 1985. And then, uh, working in Oakland, uh, for uh, a number of years, uh, around this. It, and of course we, parties in other places, uh, in addition to Oakland uh, also, we decided let's, let's take this struggle uh, 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 against the counterinsurgency because that's what we were really concentrated on, this, this war against the revolution, the war to keep the revolution from rearing its head again. Let's take the struggle against the counterinsurgency and bring as uh, many Africans from throughout the country as we can into this project. And let's create a national people's democratic movement. Let's go to Chicago And let's do it in Chicago uh, because of Fred, because we had met uh, uh, a core uh, and who had joined our movement, uh, who was located in Chicago. That's Fred's widow. Uh, And let's do it on April 6th. uh, And because April 6th, of course, was the date of the anniversary, two days uh, after the April 4th uh, murder of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, uh, little Bobby Hutton from the Black Panther Party was killed in Oakland, California. So we said, these are really... Uh, important symbolic dates uh, and two uh, uh, really important symbolic people uh, Bobby Hutton and Fred Hampton uh, and gives us an opportunity to show the continuum the revolutionary continuum even though these people kill the revolution continues and to uh, to use this to take uh, people to a higher level and to activate uh, African uh, Organizers and activists, uh, you know, from uh, from various places within the United States, and so that's what we did. And when we went into uh, to uh, Chicago, nineteen uh, ninety-one, and I think there were representatives of something like uh, twenty-five states and twenty-six cities who participated uh, uh, in the founding convention of the interna- of the National People's Democratic Kahula Movement. Uh-huh. And and you know, uh, Fred Hampton's widow. Uh, became uh, the first uh, uh, president of uh, NPDM National People's Democratic Wahoo Movement, and Fred Hampton Jr. Uh, became the first president of the Chicago uh, uh, branch of the uh, uh, National People's Dem- Democratic Wahoo Movement of NPDM. You are listening to the People's
1: War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Chairman O'Malley Yeshetela. So we saw in the 1960s our Black Power Movement ideologically defeated U.S. imperialism, but was militarily defeated by the counterinsurgency. Today we see the movement reemerging across the world, in large part due to your influence and in leadership. What will be different this time? What makes you optimistic that we are winning?
0: You know, we've had a saying uh, in our movement that the 1960s was a dress rehearsal. When you think about it, uh, most of us who uh, were engaged in revolutionary uh, activity were, you know, extremely young people, had no no history of revolutionary action, and there was no real revolutionary leadership on the ground that was accessible to us, that we could learn the lessons that we needed to learn. In the 1960s, we are talking about a, a time when, uh, for the most part, the struggle of our people was led by the African petty bourgeoisie, a middle class, some of them militant, um, but uh, it was still that. And, and that limited the, the view of, of our people. And, uh, and we didn't get an opportunity to uh, achieve the kind of uh, political uh, maturity and ideological development that, that would help uh, to promote, you know, to push the revolution to a, to a righteous kind of conclusion. And the fact is that, uh, as much as people like to remember the Black Panther Party, it only had a viable life, uh, revolutionary life of about three three years. And uh, uh, the, the the assault by the U.S. government was was uh, was was fundamental. It was crucial. In fact, you know, it was a war that was being made against us without terms. There were no terms, no Geneva Convention or anything like that. Uh, that uh, uh, determine uh, uh, how they were going to to kill us and make war and imprison us. And they've done that effectively. They used all kinds of uh, government agencies uh, from the RRS uh, to uh, the draft board. At the time, they were drafting people uh, to go into the U.S. military. Uh, they would use the draft boards. They would use cops, police, intelligence organizations, all the stuff we were up against. And we were so, so... uh uh, uh, limited in terms of how, uh, we understood these questions and, and they effectively, uh, crushed the movement before many of the, uh, outstanding ideological questions and struggles within, uh, the African revolution could be resolved. And so the difference now is that, uh, the African People's Socialist Party rep- does represent that continuum. So, you know, we're talking about the Black Panther Party that had a revolutionary existence of something like three years. African People's Socialist Party has been here for nearly 50 years. And not only have we been here, it hasn't been some static. We've been engaged in struggle. We developed uh, organizations, campaigns, movements, introduced uh, uh, verse revolutionary uh, uh, features into to, to the world. In fact, it was, the, we, as I mentioned earlier, we we are the ones who... Uh, went to Chicago and and raised up Fred Hampton. We are the ones who raised up Bobby Hutton. We are the ones who uh, uh, spoke to uh, a Coon Jerry and helped her to understand she should join the Uhuru Movement and, and and the African People's Socialist Party. We are the ones who gave Fred Junior uh, his uh, political bapt- revolutionary baptism uh, uh, in in, in anti colonial politics. Uh, we did those things. We are the ones who uh, hap- were there. Uh, uh so that uh, when uh they murdered uh Huey P Newton they were unsuccessful in simply uh using uh, that murder to uh slander the African revolution effectively to uh to use it as a tool against the whole revolution we were there we are the ones who got the uh uh who, who actually printed uh, on our own printing press uh the uh, the program for his funeral. We are the ones who organized uh, the preacher who presided over the funeral. We are the ones who uh, provided the uh, the uh, the the guards uh, for uh, for the 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 Hughes uh, uh, coffin when he was laying uh, in state for the people to come out and watch. We are the ones who uh, organized the. That is the African People's Socialist Party. Organized the. Uh, the people's funeral outside of the church where Hewitt was buried, uh, we are the ones, the African People's Socialist Party conducted a mass mass people's funeral of thousands of people uh, that was led by Biko Lumumba, uh, who was uh, a leader, local leader of our organization there uh, in Oakland, California. So the people have for the first time uh, n- uh, a revolutionary organization that has some experience, that has developed an element of maturity. That is not learning uh, a new uh, things that uh, uh, represent uh, the struggle and, and, and the repression of the struggle. Uh, the African People's Socialist Party has elevated the African working class to its own leadership, so it doesn't have to depend on the African and petty bourgeoisie, a middle class, and whether it's a militant middle class or whether it's a, a, a Bible thumping or some other form of uh, of obscurantist politic. The people have access to their own revolutionary organization. And it is an international organization that has resolved all of the outstanding contradictions that we were confronting with during the 1960s: the question of the white people, the question of armed struggle, the question of organization, the question of economic development, uh, the question of colonialism uh, versus racism, uh, uh, the 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 the, the uh, advent of. Uh, of, uh, of uh, capitalism in the whole world uh, uh, that uh, we have, uh, through uh, our own investigation and analysis, have come to conclusions that uh, lead us to the uh, uh, philosophy, uh, ideology of African internationalism. The African People's Socialist Party has made the fundamental difference, and uh, the people are not now uh, defenseless and without experience, uh, without political maturity. Uh, we've brought all of that uh, from the revolution of the sixes into this era today, and that's the fundamental difference that we are talking about,
1: Chairman uh, Uhuru. Very quickly, you have written multiple books that address the counterinsurgency. What should activists be reading right now, and where can they go to find it?
0: Yeah, we we we've done that. You know, we've uh, there are books. You know, like what Comrade uh, Masimela is mentioning. And you should look at that. I mean, uh, we did a piece called "Dialect of the Black Revolution. And of course, to the extent that you have an opportunity uh, to get to any of the videos uh, and testimony that came from the World Tribunal on Reparations uh, for Africans in, in the United States that the party conducted in 1982, uh, a lot of that testimony speaks to that. And a lot of the documents speak to that. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the... Uh, 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 political reports uh, to uh, the last two congresses of the African People's Socialist Party. We take that on. But what people need to do is join the party and join the Uhuru movement uh, because there is no individual way that individuals out there are going to be able to uh, defend ourselves effectively uh, uh, from uh, the counterinsurgency. In fact, generally speaking, unless uh, one is some kind of a terrorist or something to that effect, uh, individuals uh, don't even matter it's the revolution it's the organization and revolution and uh, that's taking people uh, someplace that matters and you need to join uh, join the party join the whole movement people should do that if they are really in intent on dealing with that some things we can say to people however is that uh, that uh, we should uh, surely uh, not be engaged in gossip and and slander and and, and people who uh, in our movement, really try to teach people how to resolve contradictions That uh, uh, because people in our communities, uh, because of the relationship that we have with the state, uh, you find us seldom willing to call the police to solve a problem, righteously so. If somebody does something, then usually it's going to be something that's taken on, uh, 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 often it is, I should say, taken on by people in the community to resolve it ourselves. In most instances, If there's no revolutionary organization on the ground, uh, sometimes people uh, get engaged in in all kinds of uh, offensive that harm the people. And we have to teach the people how to struggle. We have to teach the people how to resolve contradictions. We have to teach the people the difference between antagonistic contradictions uh, between uh, us uh, and our oppressors and colonizers and non antagonistic contradictions which occur uh, uh, between the people. So, I mean, these are some things that, uh, that we can do, that we should do. And when I say we now, I'm talking about everybody who considers uh, herself a revolutionary or, or I think people like to use the term activists and, and progressives and, and things like that. But that's that's what has to occur. And again, uh, there is no individual solution to any of the problems that we are experiencing uh, as a people. Uh, even when we look at political prisoners and things like that, there is no individual solution. We got individuals who are in prison, but they are in prison as a consequence of, of their significance to the overall struggle of our people. And it's the fight, the crush, uh, the, crush the, the resistance of the colonizers that put them there. Uh, and, and so uh, we might be on from time to time helping individual, but we don't necessarily resolve the contradiction between us and the colonial state. Uh, unless we pursue uh, the freedom and liberation of those political prisoners as as part and parcel of that overall struggle.
1: You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today was Chairman O'Malley Yeshotela. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus, or to volunteer with Project Black Onc, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Chairman O'Malley Eschatela, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in.
0: You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. women.